Welcome to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This week, we're reposting sermons from last week's Bible Conference in Prescott, Arizona. Each day this week, you'll enjoy sermons that were preached in the evening services, plus one morning seminar for our Saturday episode. Even our free subscribers will get a full week of ad-supported episodes. But if you'd like to support world evangelism with early released episodes and an ad-free listening experience, then use the links in the show notes to subscribe today. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's sermon. Praise the Lord. Amen. I am certainly not Joe Campbell. And it's always humbling to be asked to preach at conference at any time, but let's believe God together that God's going to have his way on Tuesday night. Amen? If you'll turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, God began to stir me for this message some time ago. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. A few years before Pastor Mitchell passed away, on one of his trips to Perth for the conference, I kind of got to reflecting on the three stints as pastor of the Perth Church that he uh, had spent. And for those of you who may not know, uh, his first time in Perth was in 1981. I was only saved 18 months Everybody that I knew was getting sent out, then they sent my pastor out. <laughs> well, uh, so they're serious about this here. <laughs> the second time was 1985. Both of those terms, if you want to call it that, were less than two years. The third time was for six months in 2009 to help with the transition, uh, actually right before I went in. And as I was um, with him and as we were fellowshipping, I I realized that he really wanted to live in Perth. And for those of you who have been around know that the first two terms were actually interrupted because the men he left in charge in Prescott took us off course. And he had to go back. And so I asked him, I just asked him a question because it, it re- I, I realized that he had a, quite a heart for this nation and city. I said, Pastor Mitchell, what would have happened if those two men did not screw up in Prescott? He said, I would have spent the rest of my life here. And then he added, I realized that this was not God's will for my life. That God's will for my life was back in Prescott. I want to tell you, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Because as someone who has had to wrestle with obeying God, which many people in this room have, and many many people in this room are, I realized that Pastor Mitchell, even Pastor Mitchell, had his own Gethsemane experience, where it was, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The leader of our fellowship had to surrender to God's will as as it applied to where he was going to labor. And I believe the reality is that his quiet obedience has a lot to do, if not everything to do, with his power 
to inspire the rest of us for world evangelism. And I want to minister a sermon I've called God's Choice, God's Blessing out of the life of David. And I want to apply some principles here. First Chronicles chapter 28, let's start with verse 2 and 3. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Let's go down to verse 6. Now he said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Verse 11. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord and of all the chambers all around of the treasuries of the house of God and of the treasuries for the dedicated things. Verse 19, all this, said David, the Lord has made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. And David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. And do not fear nor be dismayed For the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. God's choice, God's blessing. I want to look first of all at God's prerogative. The concept of free will is an absolute scriptural reality. And for all the things that free will does mean, free will does not mean that God has ceded power to us to tell him what we will and will not do with our lives. John Cleese from Monty Python fame. (laughs) He's kind of become a hero all over again. He's known for pushing back on the woke cancel culture. And he tells an insightful joke. He said, how do you make God laugh? He said, tell him what your plans are. (laughs) In our text, David is recounting his experience. And the record of this is found in many places in the word of God. And it declares very clearly that David had a strong desire to build God a temple. And God said simply, no. And it wasn't that it was wrong that David wanted to do it. And God actually tells him it was good that it was in your heart to do this. It's just not what God called David to do. And God said, you are not going to do that. Your son Solomon is going to do that. And Solomon had zero say in the matter. And in our text tonight, we're thinking about church planting We know that God has told us to go into all the world. There's no question about that. But the question is, what part will each of us play in the Great Commission? And I want to look at the text in context of that, the dynamics involved through the lens of our choices as it applies to God having a choice and having a prerogative and our decisions to go and to send. And here is the irony. 
There is a tension between free will and God's sovereign prerogative. We are called to go into all the world. We don't have to hear anything else. How many of you know that? But in the New Testament, they sought God. And they fasted and prayed. And God gave them direction. Separate unto me Barnabas and Paul to the work. And the irony here is that we are called to obey. And there is a tension between our free will and God's sovereign prerogative. I remember Pastor Mitchell himself quoting an old world evangelism proverb, and I'm not sure exactly how it went, but it was something like this, how urgent are the ones not summoned, how hesitant the chosen vessels. How urgent are the ones not summoned, how hesitant the chosen vessels. And Pastor Mitchell eventually revealed that all his Christian life, from a young man, he had a strong desire to be a missionary. And like God told David concerning the building of the temple, God told Pastor Mitchell, that particular chore is not for you. But your spiritual sons and even your biological son will do that. And so as we are at Tuesday night, it's not too early to be thinking about world evangelism. Especially since I was supposed to preach at 11 o'clock on Thursday. <laughs> everyone in this room, everyone on live stream, everyone in the church has a part to play in this great commission. Everybody has a part to play, to plant churches, to send missionaries, and like I said, in one sense, we don't have to hear another word. We don't need an angel to appear and repeat the command. Go and send is the default setting. And yet we know that even with Paul, the Holy Spirit said no to one posting and gave him a vision for another. And so here we have this tension. It's possible to miss this reality. The old story of the young person that came to Bible conference got really excited, went back home to his mother church, and Saturday night before he came to church, he got out a piece of paper. He said, the things I'm going to do for God, and he began to list, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be here, and I'm going to be there, and I'm going to make sure of this, and I'm going to sacrifice that. And he waited until the altar call that morning, and he went down to the altar and put that at the altar and said, God, here is my commitment to you. And to their surprise, God said, I am not pleased with that at all. And they said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to tear that up. I want you to get another piece of paper. I want you to leave it blank and sign the bottom. I'll fill in the rest. This is what God's looking for. God gets to choose every person's place. And for some people, obedience is going to be to step out of the comfort zone. There's, tonight, there's people here, and, and your obedience is going to be God interrupting your plan and challenging you to step out of your comfort zone, to step out of your present reality, 
God is going to challenge your preferred level of involvement. And God's going to call you to another commitment. And for some, it will be to go. For others, like Pastor Mitchell, it will be to lay aside what is otherwise a noble ambition and to stay or to be somewhere or to preside and facilitate, to give, to support, to be a part of a local church, to pastor where God wants you so that you can send. It's God's prerogative. I want to look secondly then at the necessary reaction because this is where Christians need a dose of reality. We sing songs about the cross. We sang a beautiful new song for me about the cross. I surrender. And we know that Jesus made the inescapable part of discipleship to pick up our cross. Unless you pick up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. And and it's not what many think. I like what Pastor Ruby said. You know, in the West, we have first world problems. And, you know, to pick up our cross, the cross I bear, you know, it's not the habit you can't break. That's just my cross to bear. No, that is not your cross to bear. That's other people's cross to bear. It's not the person you married. It is not people on your job. The cross to bear is not your ongoing trial. You know, in the New Testament, many of these people were literally crucified. For most of us, it's simply laying our life down and surrendering to whatever God asks us to do. It's those moments when God's will crosses our plans and we say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And they can be big decisions. They can be a series of of relatively smaller decisions. I heard one person say that most of us won't go out as martyrs, you know. But instead of just an all-in moment, go ahead, just, just shoot me right between the eyes and get it over with. Someone said it'd be like taking $15 million and changing it to quarters and carrying it around in a wheelbarrow and laying down your life in obedience to God, being faithful, having a prayer life, living clean, winning people to Jesus, staying where God wants you or going where God wants you. And you do that for your whole life. For some people, responding and answering to the call of God to pulpit ministry is not hard. You know, for me, it wasn't hard. The idea of being a pastor, that was an honor. I would like, I I can believe God for that. And I, you know, very quickly wanted to fulfill that but to my surprise other men that I admire and look up to and you see their ministry it was not amen and Scott Lamb has made made it very public that that was the last thing he wanted to do the last thing he wanted to do was preach the gospel he was happy just being a rock star in the basement of the Prescott music scene (laughs) 
They were playing on a Friday night. I got saved on Tuesday and Friday. Mark Olson with those beady blue eyes had me up there testifying. Wasn't even filled with the Holy Ghost yet. Full of false doctrine, but I got it done. I got got filled with the Holy Ghost that night in the altar space. Somebody said, this dude needs more. Let's... uh, But Pastor Lamb, a powerful minister of God. But that was a surrender moment. Think about that. For Pastor Mitchell, the idea of going overseas as a missionary was exciting, and he tried twice. That was a big move, to leave this revival, to leave this this powerful move of God into the hands of those that he felt would would steward it and go fulfill his life dream. And in Perth, I want to tell you, it was Jesus' people part two. It was a move of God there. And God ultimately said no to him. For me, you know, I was happy to be a pastor, but being a missionary was really not on my to-do list. But God didn't care. He said, it is on my to-do list for you. And so far, it's been two postings that took 16 years and great privilege. And then, fast forward, Pastor Mitchell's 80 years old. There's an opportunity to step in and rescue the Perth Church. We all urged him to go. We were all saying, Pastor, you have to go. You have to go there even for a short time. And I have never seen my pastor this vulnerable. And he said to us, I do not have the strength to do this. He said, I I can't do this. And yet God prevailed And he did have the strength to do it, and he did do it, and God did a miracle, and he said that was the the best six months of his life. But these are pick-up-the-cross moments. And it changed my life to see and realize that here is my pastor, and yet he had to walk down this path of surrender, just like you and I. And in our text, the real test comes in our reaction to God's choice. David's initial response is not described in this chapter, but it is repeatedly. It's amazing how much is said in the Old Testament and new about this experience. 2 Samuel 18, this is after David mentioned the idea to Nathan, the prophet, about building the house, and Nathan said, do it. And God gave Nathan a word and said, you go back and tell him that I said no. And so what does King David do? It says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Verse 25, now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever as you have said. You notice this complex Issue involved decisions in David's own personal surrender, his own personal relationship with God, and yet it involved headship and the direction of God. The difference between David and King Saul is King Saul would not do this. He lost the kingdom. He would not surrender. He would not obey for all his gifting, for all his advantages. 
He lost the kingdom. And in the process of being told that he lost the kingdom, Samuel said these powerful, immortal words, obedience is better than sacrifice. Because King Saul was trying to buy God off. I'm going to tell you something, you can't buy God off. You're not buying him off. There was a time Pastor Mitchell said that every leader that has rebelled to that point had at one time made themselves available for international missionary assignments. And yet the day came that Pastor Mitchell called him in the office and offered it to him, and he said every one of them said no. There was a, t- there was a time, I'm not sure if it's current, but when Pastor Mitchell said that, to that point he said every leader that has rebelled disobeyed a commitment they had made to God. You can't serve God in disobedience. And this is the closest you're going to get to a Joe Campbell imitation. (laughs) What about you? (laughs) What about you? What is God telling you to do? And I'm not even going to word ask. I'm not even going to use that word. David was able to make a fresh surrender. Think about it. He's the king. He was able to adjust. He was able to pivot. This is a big, a big adjustment for him. This was not a lightweight fantasy. He wanted this really, really bad. He could have accommodated his theology. He could have done a lot of things. He could have overrode Nathan. He could have but he, he, he adjusted. And you know what he did? He made the major emphasis of the rest of his life preparing and participating in somebody else fulfilling that. It was financial. It was with all his heart. And if you look at chapter 20, verse 14, he gave gold by weight for things of gold and all the articles and every kind of service, also silver, articles of silver by weight, articles of every kind of service for the weight of the lampstands and the lamps of gold by weight. And it goes on. And and it's amazing how much scripture is dedicated to David giving even of his own personal resources and he describes how he, he dis- distributed this and set it aside. Other scriptures, it's amazing. His involvement, he said, okay, I can't do it, but I'm going to help somebody else do it. I'm going to spend the rest of my life helping whoever's going to do this. And you can read about it. First Chronicles 22, verse 3 through 5. Next chapter, First Chronicles 29, 2 through 5. One commentator said, if you add up what David donated and what David accumulated and David participated in, the modern equivalent would be 20 billion U.S. dollars. He gave himself for the rest of his life, said, okay, I can't do it. I'm not going to pout. I'm not going to force my will. Who am I? God, 
You, you, have, you have spoken of my house for a long time. And I'm accepting my destiny. But yet I'm going to spend the rest of my life facilitating, encouraging, instructing, inspiring. Does that sound familiar? I want you to think about Pastor Mitchell's ministry. How much he invested. How much he equipped. How much he prioritized for the rest of his life so that you and I could be successful in world evangelism. How many of you, he's quoted in one of the early books. He said, when I heard of a need, I'd ask God two questions. Number one, can I go? And number two, if not, how can I help? And our pastor spent the rest of his life helping us to fulfill this great commission. So I want to close them with supernatural blessing. All the scriptures that recount this chapter of David's life, you put them together, it paints an incredible picture. His surrender to God's place for him, his willingness to facilitate and others fulfill brought a great anointing. And I want to tell you, the lights went on for me. It dawned on me, Pastor Mitchell's willingness to surrender to God's will rather than insist on his own, doubtless, is a huge contributing factor, if not the main factor in his ability to persuade us to do our part. And all I can tell you is I was just minding my own business, serving God. I got saved, man. And I came to terms with staying in Prescott. I'll talk about that in, in a little bit. But I remember one Thursday night before we had the conference video, we had the conference movie. And I don't even remember if I was pastoring yet, to be honest with you. But my journey and my notion of being called to the nations, I remember it was a Thursday night and they showed the conference movie. And at the end of the video, it was a clip of Pastor Mitchell in the Philippines. And he was passionate. You know, 1978 passionate. How many of you know what I mean by that? That sermon's unique. And he was saying, the reason I bring these young pastors overseas, the reason we take two trips and we go to these third world countries is I want them to see the need. I want them to see the need. I want them not to be able to sleep at night till they do something about the need. And I'm telling you, something happened to me, man. And I was upstairs. I don't know how I got upstairs. I had an upstairs seat that I scammed somehow. But when they pulled the altar call, man, I went downstairs. And I got my face on the carpet. I want to tell you, something happened to me. And I have to believe the power of that was linked to his obedience. He, he wasn't going to be able to go, but God helping him. He was going to help Tom Payne go. And he didn't even know me yet. And I remember praying there in private, and I said, God, I have no idea what you got for me, but I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. I remember going to Kenya on a trip, and um, there were some changes that were going on. 
And I thought, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he needs somebody on, on this, you know, conference. So I, I made myself available. I said, Pastor, you know, I'm not sure all of what's going on here, but if you need somebody this week, you know, I, I think I'd be open to that. And he, it didn't happen. So I went happily back to Farmington, New Mexico for the next three or four years. I bought a house, had my third child, and uh, I was very happy. I was very comfortable there. It was no longer on my radar. And there was another fateful trip that I went on, and I really tried to get out of it and um, didn't feel like I was needed. And when I was in Nairobi in the tent in a little bit of a bad mood, I actually said, God, what am I doing here? And God said, I want you to come here. And I remember where I was in Farmington, in an afternoon, it wasn't a prayer meeting, I went to church to work this out with God. And I remember where I was, I could point to it if I, we walked into that old building, and I don't want to be melodramatic, but I said, God, you got to help me, I got an agenda. I got an opinion. I got, I got what I want to do, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And I had the privilege of going to Nairobi, Kenya, and it was like being strapped to the space shuttle. I'm serious, man. I, I'm embarrassed to think I could have missed this. 21,000 decisions in four years. We nationalized four missionary churches, built a building. I'm embarrassed to think I could have missed that. And Gallup, I was asked to preach in Perth, and uh, I remember two things standing on the, uh, the uh, platform. It was a weekend. Two things. One is this amazing guitar music <laughs> that I had to turn around and see who in the world is playing that music. And I met Jamie Harries. Hello, Jamie, if you're listening. The other thing that I remember happening is God elbowed me in the ribs. I don't, he doesn't always do that to me, but he did. I was standing with him, and he said, you could come here. And I kind of knew what was going on in the background, and I just went, oh, no, here we go again. And then when Pastor Mitchell asked me to go, I knelt down by the side of my bed and I wept. Because I didn't want to do the wounded church that just went through a rebellion again. But I told my wife, I'm a soldier. Will you go? She said yes. So we went and we had 12 of the most amazing years of our lives. Amen. Thirty-three couples sent out to thirty-nine postings. I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm back in Gallup 2.0. Didn't see that coming either. Like God's just in charge here. You know what I mean? And I was thinking of our seven postings. There's only one that I chose for myself, and it by all means would be called a success. But I, I want to say it was, in comparison, the least fruitful. God's choice brings God's blessing. You may be a new convert. That's going to begin with staying where God wants you. God's will has an address. It is not everywhere. It is not anywhere. It is somewhere. It involves a local church. It involves being faithful to church and qualifying for ministry. What we have, our pattern is genius. It's from heaven. And we're going to see that God gave it to Pastor Mitchell because he surrendered. 
You need to get a job that doesn't keep you out of church. You need to build your budget around participating in world evangelism. Think about Pastor Mitchell coming to Prescott, a wounded congregation with two young couples and some elderly women. God dropped a handful of uprooted young people into what was called in those days flypaper city. There were no jobs. There was no money. And I had no, no intention of staying here. This was just a stepping stone. This was just, you know, pretending to go to college. This was just prolonged adolescence. And we got saved, and I'm glad I got saved, but you know, you know how many churches there are between my house in Rochester, New York, and this little cow town here? For goodness sake, I'll marry Jan and move to Dallas. These are all the things that are working in my brain. Like, I'm not going to stay here until God began to deal with me. And you know what really sealed the deal for me? This couple, Kevin and Janet Foley, followed up on, on us. And I got to know this couple, and here's Kevin Foley. And, and you know, you can kind of read the poker table a little bit. Like, this guy's got a brain, man. This guy's like, this guy's qualified. And he's working at McDonald's. That smoked the gears a little upstairs for me. Like, he wasn't even the manager. He, told, he, told, he reminded me he was the assistant manager. I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> and then he gets the door director, and then he got sent out. I can't tell you the impact that made on me. That's like the penny drop. Wow, he did that on purpose. Like, he, he took that job to stay here. And he was willing to do that because what's happening here is big. What, it, we, we didn't totally, there's only 35 churches when I got saved. They used to line them up on Friday night and pray for them for something to do. <laughs> and send out somebody else. But when I saw that, it was like, wow, this is big. This is big. And look at what happens. This is, this is what I want to leave you with. This is what should incentivize your obedience beyond destiny, beyond reward, beyond privilege. Verse 11 and 12. Then David gave his son the plans. Verse 12. The plans that he had by the Spirit. Have you ever passed over that? That means God, in his surrender, gave him revelation for how to build the temple. Divine revelation. Verse 19, all this, David said, the Lord made me understand in writing his hand upon me, all the works and the plans. That's exactly what happened to Pastor Mitchell. That's what I believe now. That in his surrender, because you, you, you know, like we've heard it, this is not a work of man. This is not our genius. This was a man who surrendered to God's place. And God gave him revelation. He received revelation for the pattern and the principles of our movement from heaven. And it continues. Pastor Greg Mitchell shares that, you know, when Pastor Mitchell told him, son, 
you are going to be my successor. He shared with us that leadership. He said he didn't believe it. He said, well, okay, dad will wake up smart and realize that he made a mistake. That's what he said. He said, so I'll just serve him and pray for him so that he realizes that's not what he should do. But you know what? Thank God that God gave us a successor. Can you say amen? And the revelation continues. It's just, you know, this building and, and the progress and the, the wisdom, the supernatural. We're at another level. Can you say amen? Because it's in surrender. And I want to tell you, Pastor, the takeaway here. You want to build a church of faithful, committed disciples that will lay down their lives? Take a look at chapter 29, verse 6. Then the leaders of the fathers of the houses and the leaders of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and hundreds with the officers over the king's worth offered willingly. Look at verse 8. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house and into the hand of this craftsman. This is contagious. Truth is not so much taught as it is caught. How do you do that? Surrender. Obedience. And say, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. If you want me to go, I will go. If you want me to stay, I will stay. I will prioritize my life. The church is not part of our lives. It is our lives. And when you approach it this way, this is contagious. And the impartation of, of willingness and surrender that inspires others. I want to challenge you to pray for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Ask for them by name, the gift of the apostle. We're not talking about some strange, weird church title. The apostle are the sent ones. These are the ones that carry a dimension of God that are going to go and build conference centers. The prophet, the pastor, teacher, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, faith, healing, miracles, discerning of spirits, administrations, liberality, helps, tongues. Covet the best gifts because there is a miracle dimension that is going to guide you in your place of labor, in your obedience, because God's choice brings God's blessing. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. 
And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks.